This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. Golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in Standard Orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I'm Ken Tripp. And I am Haley Stoddart, coming in from a cold gamma quadrant. And today we'll be discussing some of the main aliens we met in the 2016 film Star Trek Beyond. I can't believe it's been three years. Holy moly. Uh, This film was launched during the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. And by design or coincidence, there were 50 new alien species in this film, which was really cool, I think. Uh, We don't have close to the amount of time to discuss all of these different species and we'd have to do a lot of research I think to figure out which they what they were and who they were played by um but we thought it'd be interesting to talk about at least some of our favorites um and especially some of the top five new aliens that we meet in this film today Ken how are you doing I'm doing well Haley thank you uh it's it's getting colder here but nothing like what you've been going through out there in the gamma quadrant thank goodness yes i am not not looking forward to winter but uh you know to your point i think star trek beyond was a was a great star trek movie and one of the things that i've enjoyed about star trek's new movies and series for that matter is the evolution of the aliens in the show right we we definitely see how technology has enhanced the look and feel of the aliens since well definitely since the original series (laughs) definitely (laughs) and movies but, you know, Trek of the 90s, you know, everybody kind of jokes about the uh, the nose bumps or the chin bumps or, you know. Forehead it, of the week. Forehead of the week, right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you look back on them now and, and they didn't age that well comparatively. Um, but, they, I mean, they're okay. But, you know, when it really started to take off was um, when the J.J. films came out. And they, I think they took them to a whole other level as far as you know how unique it was and again that that's that's all technology based uh but but a lot of fun to watch definitely i agree with you on that it's it's interesting and and great to see how as the technology changes and prosthetics get better and makeup gets better and everything people learn their skill and their trade more and 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 the the science comes into play the technology creating something and making it look better and interesting definitely shows, I think, in the advanced, as far as the series goes, because TOS is sometimes really silly to watch. 
Really? With, with the aliens, you just think, okay. I mean, it's great for what they had. Um, you know, and. <laughs> just teasing Haley. I'm just like, come on. The Mugatu, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's great that, you know, they. They use the technology, and I thought that was interesting that Star Trek has always utilized that to its advantage. And yeah, you can look back and you can say, oh my gosh, that looks silly, and oh, they just gave him a different kind of forehead, um, but they did what they could. And then with the J.J. films, definitely, I think the makeup um, really is phenomenal, especially with Star Trek Beyond. It's incredible with what they're able to do. As far as, you know, creating different, I mean, 50 completely different types of aliens in this film. And it makes you want to watch it and be like, okay, where where are they? Because they're not necessarily all crew members. They're not prominent ca- characters. There's a lot of background characters that are different mm-hmm. aliens. And so it's, it's definitely really, really interesting. Yeah, I think so. Especially, you know, if you can slow things down and kind of look around Yorktown Station, there's... Mm. There's a good variety of things going on, and you know, I, I think that um, you know, ever since the the uh, cantina scene in Star Wars, everybody's trying to up their game with with aliens and looks, and you know, Star Trek always kind of played it very humanoid, which still happens here and beyond. But they they do make some some nice changes and some some interesting concepts in this movie and how they played with the aliens. So I think this is a fun topic, and this is something that I'd love to explore through. Uh, the other the other two JJ movies as well when we have time. Definitely, I think there's there's some characters that I would like to talk about. We were talking off mic about somebody that I think's really interesting, and I just can't find any information about the character. <laughs> A hunting we will go. A hunting we will go. Yes. All right. So uh, let's talk about obviously one of the major players as far as alien slash humanoid slash alien. I don't quite know. Um, Kral, played by Idris Elba, who is fantastic actor. It was so awesome to see him play our uh, haunted villain, I would say. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Now, the most unique thing about this alien is that he's an amalgamation of the various alien species that he's been absorbing, right, for yeah. whatever it's been, right, uh, 30, 40, 50 years, maybe more. Uh, I, I sometimes get my timelines confused with the Warp 4 vessel, right, and, yeah. <laughs> and to the Enterprise. But, yeah, that's that's the coolest thing is, you know, he's his his looks change um, depending on which life force he's, he's absorbing through that technology to keep him alive, which I thought conceptually was very clever. Definitely. It's, it's an interesting idea to think about what happens on a genetic level when you start taking in other DNA sequences that are not your own and not even maybe not even remotely similar to human DNA and we have a lot in common with a lot of other things but deep down there's there's differences and so I thought that morphing was really really interesting um when he brings in and he that's first time you see him absorbing some more and every time they show him he looks just a little different and a little weird i'm really intrigued by how the makeup they did that um just because it's changes so fast that it's really quite interesting and he's more almost reptilian than anything else and so you want to know what other types of alien beings that he's encountered and absorbed to keep staying alive 
And yet at the end, he starts looking more himself, which is really interesting that maybe in order to keep his weird, funky look, he's got to keep absorbing DNA from other beings. And then he starts looking more human at the end. But not quite. Yeah. It's very interesting. He's, yeah. He's a terrifying character, I think. The, um, the shock of what it looks like to the victims mm-hmm. you know was um very different for a star trek movie not not that we haven't seen some you know rather scary scenes here and there and you know going back maybe to star trek 2 you know there was a little shock and awe with the carnage with khan um back then that was kind of a big deal you know these mm-hmm. people hung upside down and the blood and things you didn't see that in star trek very often but this almost had like this this terrifying approach where you know, literally the bodies are smoldering and completely shrunken. And um, and even when they go through it, uh, they talk about the Tomlinsons, remember? Uh, they say they were um, the victims when, when they were back down on the planet. And it was just, it was a tough thing to watch. And I, you know, it, it's science fiction. I get it. It wasn't necessarily terrifying, but I, I didn't, made me very, uh, it felt very real, very authentic. And um, it made them come across, made Carl come across as being extremely evil. And, um, you know, and they kept that character throughout. And there was a, a thought that he might turn to the good, especially at the mm-hmm. very end, to help the captain. But nope, he, <laughs> he wanted to destroy Federation, Federation values, all those things, uh, which I thought was, was good. I, that's, that happens too much in movies, I think, where people um, kind of flip the other way, uh, thinking about what they're doing. But, but to me, I thought it played from A to Z that Crawl, he was just... He was just a bad, bad, bad alien. Bad. Even though he was really human, still bad. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting to take this anger that he has at being left and abandoned and no one came looking for him and his crew and to see his crew slowly die and who knows, you know, how much of his crew, once he found that alien technology to keep himself alive, you have to wonder how many of his crew, aside from his one officer that was with him, did he absorb their DNA and, and whatever else? Because, you know, if, if they're shriveled and looking, it's almost like when you watch, I don't watch horror films, but the few that I've seen, you know, when someone's drained of like all their fluids and everything, their body just kind of, your body shrivels up. Yeah. Um, so you just wonder how much else is being taken from them and given to him, you know, aside from DNA, it has to be fluids. It has to be something else to keep him alive for as long as he's been. But you know, part of our our personalities is genetically encoded. And so by him absorbing all of this, all of this DNA and everything else from all these other beings, you know, it makes this weird amalgamation and combines with his anger that he's already got towards the Federation at leaving him and his crew. And it really makes him kind of terrifying that you've got this character who's been alive for so long and his thoughts have to just almost not be close to his own anymore because of the anger and the different different things that he's absorbed over the years and and so yeah I like that he doesn't he doesn't change at the end and he he sticks to his guns about I'm going to destroy the federation because they left me and my crew and it's not the same anymore and I cannot face the changes that hey 
it's no longer what it was. I don't have to be at war and fighting everything. And we've made friends and peace with some of these beings and races that we've met before that I met that we were at war with. And I cannot accept that. I cannot accept that change. So his character is very deep and interesting. I could probably talk about him more. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's because he's a reflection of a lot of things that we've seen in history. And we mm -hmm. see things evolve where, you know, people who fought, you know, particularly in World War II, you know, they held on to that to that hatred, that prejudice, mm -hmm. um, because they've seen things that, that you and I can't even imagine. Um, and so it sticks with them. So I get it. And then you see some folks who, towards the end or as time goes on, have come to peace with what happened and you know that that bigotry or that animosity towards the enemy evolves right and mm -hmm. um you know we're, we're seeing that now with with people taking trips to vietnam and talking to the the same people they were fighting against so it's it's very interesting that that dynamic but you know it, as much as um you'd like those storybook endings sometimes uh, it's it's not always uh, the way things work out and i think that they they wrote a script i thought that that hit on a lot. I mean, it was a wonderful script holistically, but I think they they captured him fairly, fairly well. I think there was the, a lot of the discussions was, did it really have to even be, you know, a former Federation officer or, you know, I, I think it worked out well, but I know some people were just like, well, well, why does it always have to be, you know, somebody that, that's been turned or whatever, or jaundiced towards something? But Overall, I think they, they did well with this character. I thought his, um, his makeup, his, his designs, the way they evolved were done very, very well. Uh, his voice was menacing. His presence was menacing. Uh, they, um, yeah, it, you know, it, it's, I know we'll probably one of these days get a Star Trek where there isn't a quote-unquote villain, <laughs> you know, where it's a, a situation again. And it's been a while. Mm -hmm. It's been a long time since we've, we've seen a Star Trek movie without a quote-unquote bad guy. Um, but they do exist, and I think that um, it'll be interesting to see if, if that evolves in any of the new series or whatnot, you know, where, where there isn't just something evil, but it's more of a mystery that they need to solve. Mm -hmm. It'll be fun to see. No, I agree with you on that. I think it, I, I agree with you with what you said about that he was written well, and I think that it definitely was perfectly, it worked well to have him be a former officer who, you know, because you can see those situations happening. You know, Star Trek's always been a reflection of our own stuff and what's going on currently. You can see something like that happening where someone is left behind and they get angry and bitter and mad and vengeful and everything else. So I think it worked out really, really well. And yeah, the makeup was just really interesting. And, and especially where it changes throughout the film. He doesn't always look the same. And then again, when we get towards the end with Idris Elba, when he becomes start becoming more human, he looks human, but almost also doesn't. And it's very interesting. Um, and how he ends up dying is that's phenomenal too in its own way. It was really really well done. It was. It was. So, all right. Well, let's talk about somebody else, and she was kind of a catalyst into mm -hmm. this whole. We find out about Crawl. Um, 
This is uh, Kalara. She was an alien, um, again, who, who brought the Enterprise into this situation, which is really sad because then we see her die, but that's another topic. Um, <laughs> the actress, uh, she was played by Lydia Wilson, um, but when she comes aboard the Enterprise and she's speaking, um, she was actually voiced by Sarah Maria Forsberg. And she was kind of an interesting character. Um, I liked that this is one of those times where the um, Universal Translator wasn't quite working. And I think that was so fun to see them have to figure out how to make it so that they could understand her. Because most of the time we meet an alien and they just talk and we totally understand them. And I don't think that should always be the case. So that was one of the aspects of, of this character that I really enjoyed, even though it's not anything to do with her specifically in the makeup, uh, that the Universal Translator was kind of struggling to translate what she was saying. But her makeup yeah. was really neat, too. Yeah, she was she was good looking. And, uh, the alien was good looking. I'll make sure I phrase that correctly. <laughs> um, again, I, I think similar to Krull, same, same background. I guess that's that's what we assume, right? That she was the hench person who was who was sent to set everything up. And very believable, um, the way they played it with, with her first uh, being um, picked up at, at Yorktown. And even the video, you know, with the kind of the fast moving with her, her face going back and forth, seeming very, very panicked. Mm -hmm. And then and then talking through about needing to rescue her crew. And from the time that she was on the bridge of the Enterprise to, you know, the, the fact that they, they kind of figured out that they, they had been set up. And um, they used that against her in order to, to lure them back. Um, but it was, um, yeah, it was, it, I thought she uh, did a nice job because, you know, the first time I seen the movie, I didn't see it coming. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. um, I, I felt that she was a victim much like, um, like the Enterprise was or, you know, Jayla or whoever um, before it, it all, it all comes to light that she's just, she's one of them being used in order to, to bring the ship in. So I thought, um, yeah, she, it was a great character, but the the point about the universal translator, I think, is what made that this this alien counter so interesting, because it wasn't a by the numbers Star Trek thing. Um, you could see she was panicked. You could see, you know, the uh, the station bringing her in, and and trying to get the information. I like the fact that you could hear the alien language and um english mm -hmm. you know or yeah. standard as they call it coming out at the same time i thought that was really clever and the way that 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 worked the rest of worked through the rest of the film it was just different and um you know to me that that's probably the way most things would would work now i know that um you know interpretive technology even today has come a long way but i like that it added to the mystery made her seem even more alien uh, and and kind of sucked me into the story even more, just the fact that they did it that way. Yeah, and it's definitely interesting. So it doesn't say necessarily that she was looking at Memory Alpha, that uh, she was on the Franklin, but she was a Federation Starfleet officer um, until she was stranded on Altamade. So, um, and then that body trans energy transference technology is what, what made her no longer human. Um, mm -hmm. Let's see. Oh, no. So it says that she crashed on the distant planet with Captain Edison. Um, so Anderson Lee and herself is the only survivor. So she was part of the Franklin crew. Um, so that's really interesting that, you know, just the three of them made it out okay. But um, in reading about this, apparently her makeup was done all in one piece. Mm -hmm. um, 
and apparently was really difficult to make because her face was so smooth. And yeah, like all those ridges on the, but then I like that it goes down on the neck. It's not just like a forehead of the week. It's not just like weird ears or nose or anything else. But I think that's one of the things about these Kelvin films and Beyond in particular was that the makeup, it wasn't just like a little here or there. It was like full head, you know, you could imagine that, you know, it went down past the uniform or past their clothing that they were wearing. And so I think that's really something that's really incredible about this is that that makeup was just really well done. It was. It was. I, I, I liked her. I liked I like what she brought to the to the um, to the movie, and I liked the way they, they they put it all together. In fact, I mean, this, this movie all around was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's you know it kind of makes it easy to appreciate. But um, yeah, I thought um, I, I I like this alien in particular. I, I, I like the way it, it, it all evolved and, and whatnot. And uh, yeah, they, they, they did it right. They absolutely did it right. I completely agree. Who's up next, Ken? Well, let's see who we have up next, shall we? So we've got, we talked about Krull. Now we've talked about um, Kalara. Let's talk about an alien named Syl, which very interesting, right? Spelled S-Y-L as we researched played by Melissa Roxburgh, and she didn't have a lot of screen time, but she had two critical pieces of screen time, yes, she did. right? She certainly did. Um, and we realized that she has a, um, I guess, uh, an interesting head? An interesting... <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, don't, we don't find out until... Um, under interrogation that that she breaks and shares the device with Krull, the one that uh, allows them this technology to do some really bad thing. But uh, yeah, uh, well, you're the one who did the research to discover how they came about with this makeup and and what the design was. So why don't you tell it? Yeah, so Ensign Sill, um, definitely interesting makeup. The first time I watched this, I was like, oh my gosh, that's a little creepy. I'm not going to lie. And the reason why is uh, the makeup artist, Joel Harlow, he actually designed this in a homage to the facehugger from the Alien franchise. And now that I know that, I can totally see it, even though I've never watched Alien. I think I watched like a little bit of it when my dad was watching it on TV and it freaked me out. And so I don't watch scary movies. I don't like them. But uh, I do know about the facehugger thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, very, very interesting makeup. And I like that, at least for hers, in comparison to Kalara, um, Ensign Sill has, there's details. Her face isn't completely smooth, so the makeup on her face isn't smooth. And there's little details that just kind of give dimension. um, Mm -hmm. And really just really interesting features not just on the back of her head or on the side um even though those little i don't even know what you'd call them appendages but um they move and i'm wondering if they're almost like fingers and can move on their own and and then it makes me wonder okay how does she make them open and close and like what did they use to do that in the film but then like how does she control it on her own anyway uh could go down a rabbit hole on that but I like that the makeup is on her face as well, which is really interesting. I don't know if you've looked at a picture recently of it, but um, I like the the detail. And it goes down her neck, it's on her chin, you know, and all the way up to her lips. So the actress really looks very different 
like very very different Kalara you could kind of see the humanness in her face because the the makeup on her face was smooth and then it started kind of close to her ears and then back is where it went rigid and had ridges and stuff but with Syl it's even on her face as well mm-hmm. yeah um it freaked me out when her head opened up like that. <laughs> I totally that get way. it. I yeah, totally I thought agree. they were just going for some, you know, exotic kind of a cool look. Um, there's there's a few different characters throughout the JJ films, particularly with females. I'm I'm not sure exactly why. Maybe it's because you know they have a lot of hair or something. So instead of having all the hair, they just create these massive heads. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and some of them with. Um, they almost look like they have ram's horns, right? The way they, they circle some some of these aliens, and so it's it's kind of a, a JJ thing. And so I thought, okay, here's another um, young uh, alien, very very unique in how it looks, like, as you just described and whatnot, uh, and and made sense why he asked her to hide it. Now that we know, yeah. But when the, when when her head opened up like that, or you know, I mean, I realize it's not her head so to speak but i don't know what it would be but when when, when yeah. the top of her head opened <laughs> and and she had that had that device there i was that's exactly what i thought is that man this is it's very very much like the alien movie it was it was really creepy it was um yeah yeah and you know and of course with sound effects too you know with that that kind of slimy sound mm-hmm. uh part <laughs> i was like oh man um but clever damn clever i have to say i uh, didn't see it coming you know um i thought she was just gonna break and tell them where it was hidden not necessarily well here it is you know i, I didn't see that coming at all so very very clever yeah good on you star trek <laughs> very it was uh very very clever and yeah I, I totally forgot about the sound effects with it like it's not it's kind of like that slime kind of sound but then it's also the um when you're watching scary movies and like someone's moving their fingers or something and like that slow motion, like I, I can't even mimic it, but uh, yeah, it, uh, yeah, it creeped me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a creepy thing. It was. It just was. It just was. Yeah, but uh, it, that that was that was pretty cool, and you know that's that's where I like where where Star Trek can can take an alien, pull them into the plot without it just being you know just for the fact that it's an alien, but make the the character have some value mm-hmm. right? and, and its talents or abilities. And, you know, Star Trek's good with that, with, you know, Spock and this, and, you know, there's, there's certain things that all these aliens can do, but that's a, a obviously a physical characteristic we didn't see coming. And, um, yeah, it was, it, it's really creepy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> really and, creepy. you know, it's interesting, you know, people have talked about um, with Discovery and how we had um, – Oh my gosh, the the one character, um, <laughs> she died in season two, um, and I'm spacing on the name at this point because I have a head cold. But people were upset that you know we didn't really get to know her until like the very end, and then she died. This character, like we didn't really get to know her, but you really felt for her. You really attached to her in the little bit of time that we had. She was compelling and interesting, and you know the captain yes utilized her in a way he thought was going to be great and helpful and he didn't understand that you know her empathy and her please don't don't hurt my fellow crew members leave them alone here I'll give you what you want was a catalyst uh for the rest of the film albeit but you really kind of 
I really enjoyed her character the little bit we had. Yeah, me too. Me too. Young, um, uh, you know, just 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 a young kid going through a, a very tra- traumatic thing, and um, yeah, of course, obviously they they didn't know what they were getting themselves into or, you know, where they were going to wind up. So it was hard to say whether. It was a right, a good or bad call to do it. I think it was the right call at the time because it, it gave them some time, mm-hmm. which is what they needed. But yeah, I thought that, um, yeah, like you said, for for limited amount of screen time, very impactful character, very clever, and really creepy. Yeah, <laughs> I completely, completely agree. All right, well, we're going to move on to somebody who he's in all three of the films but it's probably one of my favorite alien characters. And this is Ensign Kinzer. And uh, this is play, he's played by Deep Roy. If you didn't know that, uh, shame on you. But uh, <laughs> I knew it. Don't shame well, me. Well, I, I know you knew it. But if <laughs> listeners didn't know that this is played by Deep Teasing Roy. You. They actually, I was reading, they actually created this character and specifically sought out Deep Roy and nobody else to play him. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were talking off mic. I think he's only got one line in the first film. Or maybe it's in the second film. I don't remember. But he is... I think the line is me. Yeah. <laughs> if I remember, you know. Um, But uh, I really like Kingsley. I think his makeup is so interesting. And his eyes are really cool. Um. Because they don't fill the entire socket. And that's something that I think is really... It's different, yeah. It's different. Um, I think in the first film, I was like, that's kind of creepy. But then later, I was like, that's really cool. Um, don't be around him, obviously. If he's got a head cold like me, um, his his snot's pretty pretty bad. <laughs> it's devastating, actually. <laughs> it is. But I really like the makeup on him. It's... I, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's just so interesting, this this makeup that they've got going on. Yeah, he's a, he's an interesting character. I, I like the way he was introduced in the first movie. You know, he kind of, you know, reminds me of like a reptilian Ewok, right? <laughs> he's yeah. just kind of, you know, this 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 kind of um, character that's a, a sidekick, you know, and, and climbing up on things or whatever. But at the same time, he's a, he's a capable crew member. He's an engineer, obviously. Um, takes over engineering, or at least it's assumed a little bit before Chekhov does in uh, Into Darkness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then he goes off with him, so that's cool. But very loyal to Scotty. Uh, but in this movie, you know, you, you see him a little bit, and you hear you hear him being discussed with him off screen that he has um, an ailment or whatever, and that it's creating a problem, right? Because yeah. it's got this this acidy <laughs> impact, and it's dangerous for the ship. But they don't talk about it very much, you know. I mean, it's just it's just kind of a a quick blurb or whatever. And then it's funny how later on in the movie. Uh, he plays a kid- critical role mm-hmm. in, in helping them at least escape to a certain point. Uh, and it helps with the big plot reveal, right, uh, when they get captured again. But it was, uh, yeah, he, he is kind of a neat, a neat character. I mean, he's, he's unique to, to the series, to the show. And, um, you know, he, I like when you have some continuity uh, with, with these folks. And, um, you yeah, know, Deep Roy, he's been in a lot of movies, and uh, I keep thinking of, uh, you know, the, the uh, Chocolate Factory, right, mm-hmm. was the one that you just see him over and over and over and over. He's like the <laughs> same, same, uh, same actor that's used in, in all the scenes with the Oompa Loompas. But 
yeah he's um yeah he's 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 a great little character and i i i like it a lot and i i like what he did in this movie again he never had huge pieces of these roles or whatnot but um you know his his time on screen always had um a little bit either was it was comical or in this case it was comical and you know he's helping the rest of the crew which was kind of neat exactly so i'm looking on here and uh trying to determine you know what they've got as far as their inspiration for the makeup of of kingser um looks like simon care simon Pegg once characterized kingser as an oyster-faced alien i can kind of see that um yeah and it looks like with his eyes um they likened him to, you know, the eyes of crabs, which is understandable. Mm -hmm. And I guess apparently yeah. they did. They were thinking about doing um, the eyes in a with just CGI, but then um, they actually used. Um, let's see. Um, they actually had to create him, and so they had to track where his eyes were or where his his face was looking. But then the eyes could move differently, and so I really enjoyed him. Um, yeah, I think his characters just it's interesting and i really do love the makeup of it i think his makeup is one of my favorites it even goes on his neck and it's all like weird and yeah i get the the clam that or the oyster that totally makes sense now yeah i don't see it that's funny um, you don't <laughs> no oh no but that's that's okay i mean i everybody has different interpretations i i kind of took him as being almost like um maybe i was just so used to like the gem hadar or something like mm, that he mm -hmm. kind of looked like a mini offshoot of that and yeah. so that was kind of in my head not that i thought he was of that species or anything of course but i i could kind of see sort of a resemblance there uh and and when you're first introduced you know through kind of the um got those... the trick of the camera uh... you, you don't realize he's he's small and unassuming yeah you know they just they just show it and then you know he removes the uh, the goggles and you see <laughs> as i call them the toggle the toggle switch eyes mm -hmm. there that are going back and forth which was clever so yeah he's 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 kind of neat like i said he he adds to um the um the feel and in, in what is the the kelvin timeline right i mean he's indelibly stamped there and i i, I like his character yeah well and him and scotty i think are just fantastic scotty even though kingser never talks scotty knows what he's saying i guess <laughs> yeah yeah. And well, they work well together even though Scotty's always like, Get down from there. No, you're you can't come with me and, and whatnot. So I, I yep. enjoy his character quite a bit. Well, I just I, I think, you know, skipping over into into darkness when Scotty resigns and hands over his 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 pad or whatever it is and Keenzer's right with him and does the same thing. Mm -hmm. he's, just, he's like I said, he's extremely loyal. Yeah. You know? Which is fantastic. So, so. Yes. I, All right. Ready to take us home? Last one? Uh, yeah. So uh, probably another very well-known, again, these are kind of the well-known ones, is Jayla. And uh, she's played by Sophia Butella, which I was so excited to see her because she was in another movie that I just absolutely loved her character. Um, she's an alien scavenger, perhaps, but she's been stranded there. Her family was taken to Altamede, and, uh, you know, she escaped been living on the franklin which i think was just so cool she's like you have to save my house I just, her character is fantastic i have to say and the makeup was really neat it wasn't a whole lot of 
um, ridges and weird ears and foreheads and neck and everything like that. It was just, it was face. It was, you know, mostly her face. And then it was just skin and the black lines and everything like that was really cool. I thought that was really, really interesting. And especially how it goes into her hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that a um, couple things about Jayla. You're right. She they, they don't ever identify what species she is. In Mm-mm. fact, if you look it up, it just says Jayla species. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever she is, she is. Uh, very exotic look, I thought. Um, very unique. Uh, the combination of being tough, resourceful, and yet somewhat innocent mm-hmm. uh, is something I really liked. You know, she, she came across as... Um, almost childlike because of her, um, it, this being a second language, you know, the Federation language that she's speaking. But yet she's no dummy. I mean, she's a, she's a very competent and capable engineer, knows how to fix things, very resourceful. I said that before. And I, I like characters like that because, you know, when, um, and, and I've seen it too in, in, in my own uh, circle of friends or colleagues at work or whatever, when, when you work with somebody who's from someplace else, and as English as a second language, uh, you know, sometimes their their use of the words and so forth um, could could almost be misleading you to think that um, well maybe they don't know as they don't know what they're talking about or as as capable as you think. Mm-hmm. And it's always the opposite, uh, you know, being able to um, to to think in one language and speak in another is 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 very trying and difficult for folks, uh, you know, unless they they've, they've been doing it since uh, they were babies. So I, I I really appreciate her. I, I really do. I just I think her character is wonderful. I wish that they had made a Star Trek for. I wish that she would be part of the crew. Um, yes. She just yeah. Like I said, there was every everything about her um, was was great. Um, she, you know she she had that right balance there. But I, I liked all the gizmos and her capability and and I liked the fact that that her and Scotty uh, really hit it off. And it was you know more like uh, father daughter um, mentor mentee that type of thing you know harnessing that that intellect and skill set and then at the end you know she's she's going off to Starfleet which I thought was was kind of neat uh, so hopefully she she would have returned um, but the one thing that that's challenging for these movies is you know a lot of these folks um, not all of them but a lot of them you know they're getting more and more expensive because they're just <coughs> uh, very popular outside of Star Trek uh, and and for a while she was taking off there. Um, you know she was in the Mummy. Um, she was in Kingsman. What was the movie you saw that you liked her in? It was in a Kingsman. Oh, Kingsman. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. that one I I really enjoyed. That was the first thing I'd ever seen her in, so that was really great. But um, yeah, I think she's. She is a wonderful character. She's very strong. And I love the introduction to her that, you know, she essentially rescues Scotty, but is also very not sure of who he is, and, but then does trust him, you know, and, and whatnot. And so I thought that was the pairing of the two of them was great. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it made Scotty even more self effacing. You know, I, I like it when you have. A tough female character who's who's an ass kicker, right? And the guy is kind of, especially with him, like with the rock, you know, rah, you know. It's like yeah. The uh, the dichotomy there, I thought, was was wonderful. And that's like I said, she was she was tough, she was intelligent, she was resourceful. 
um, and yet had a very innocent childlike quality. And that's that's not an easy thing to do. And it's not an easy thing to emote, I think, through a lot of makeup either. Mm-hmm. So I thought yeah, that was the first time I had maybe I had seen her in something else. Uh, obviously, she's she is not recognizable. You know, when when I saw her in real life, I was I, that is not who I thought she'd look like. I had no but I had no idea. Um, and so, you know, she, very, uh, very talented actress overall. Uh, but yeah, she 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 uh, she did a great job. Sophia did a great job playing this character, and I think uh, she she's one of the better. Um, she would have been one of the better additional crew members if they if they had kept this series going. You know, and hopefully someday they might. But maybe with this merger, they could bring her back somehow, some way. But yeah, again, she she's <laughs> been she's been getting a lot of bigger and bigger roles here and there. So we'll see. Yeah, I think I think her character is definitely one of the ones from Beyond that a lot of people really resonate with, um, mm-hmm. and really enjoy. I've seen, you know, you've been to Vegas, and mm-hmm. there's definitely people who are cosplaying Jayla, and I really, I did, I enjoyed her character. She incredibly resourceful. She MacGyvered herself through that entire movie, I and mean, it's just super awesome. That's a great way of putting it. Yes. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, she made that ship fly again. Yeah, and you know, and to put together in the bravery that she had to go back and and help Kirk go rescue the rest of his crew from Crawl was incredible. You know, it was the whole fight of I'm not going to go back, and I won't go back there. I'm not going to help you, but then she does, and you know, and then that scene where she's fighting Crawl's number one and. You know, she feels that Kirk's going to leave her, but he doesn't and everything. Her character really, I think, had a lot of growth in the film. And I definitely agree with you that I would love to have her in the fourth film and come back as, you know, I don't know if necessarily enough time has passed. I mean, they could say enough time's passed that maybe she wouldn't just be an ensign. But I definitely would enjoy seeing her character, you know, working in engineering or maybe taking over for checkoff, you know, since Aaron. That was the thought process, I think. That was mine, too, you know. Um, I know she's an engineer, but at the same time, I think she's capable of any role that they could put her in. I think her character knows enough. Um, And I think she'd be really a great addition to the crew. So, fingers crossed, I guess, on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, mine are still crossed. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I hope they come up with something. I guess I guess we'll see. You know, um, obviously Star Trek is a franchise that's growing and growing and growing in the streaming environment and mm-hmm. in the animation world. I'd, I'd like to see it get back into the movies, and I'm sure they're weighing whether or not there's a big enough audience or if it's too dilutive. It's it's a it's a delicate dance there, and um, you know the movies have done well off and on with the series in play but uh, they've you know when there's when there's nothing else going on they obviously do a lot better mm-hmm. uh, and that was clearly the case with um Star Trek 09 and Into Darkness which did the best financially of all of them and and Beyond didn't do bad they just had too big a budget that was their problem yeah so. Yeah. Well, and if, but, you know, it's it's difficult to say just because, you know, yes, this merger happened, but who knows? It It's still shelved at this point, but, you know, you have to look at, man, I mean, gosh, Marvel's got, what, movies planned till like, 2024? 
yeah at yeah, this point I mean, so yeah. i still would well, love to see a fourth film though yeah i i think in order to make cbs all access successful long term um you know you you make more money if you can produce a movie and then put it on a streaming services a streaming service or whatever that you own that's that's disney's model mm-hmm. it's it's completely the right way to go because it gives you just more and more sources of income unlike um netflix where you know their subscribers are their subscribers uh so they're they're not getting any more money or any more subscribers or hopefully they are with their content but it doesn't drive any it's just one you're just spending money to keep that service going whereas if you can make a movie and then put it on a streaming service you win twice yeah and then you know like disney you put it in a theme park or with products you win three times four (laughs) times five times yeah it just keeps going but yeah i guess we'll see so final thoughts on your on our beyond alien kind of retrospective here Haley. Um, I thought it was just, it was great to see all these different types of characters and these different aliens because I feel that, yes, you know, Star Trek is out there exploring. We're going to encounter, yes, in beings that are humanoid and look like us, but at the same time, not all conditions are conducive and the same as our planet, and we would encounter aliens, things that don't even look like us. And that's something that I've always wanted more of, at least in the television shows of Star Trek, is more beings and species that look humanoid-ish. At least they walk, they're bipeds, they walk on, on two legs like we do, but are completely different. They, they don't even look like us. Our universal translator might not necessarily know their language and it takes a minute to figure it out. And, and so that's something that this movie really brought was and was great because we had all these different aliens that weren't just humanoids. They were aliens. They were biped aliens, and I loved it. There it is. Well, I'm aligned with you, my friend. I think that um, they did a nice job in this movie. I think the J.J. films in general did a good job. I look forward to talking about um, more of the aliens from these movies in the future as we go along. Uh, but this was an, a good kickoff. And uh, I think these these five are representative of some of the better qualities of the uh, the aliens as we've seen them evolve in Star Trek. So it was great to talk about them with you. I appreciate it. It was fun. It was absolutely fantastic. And I'm glad there I didn't is. hack up along. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> and our listeners even more so, especially the ones on headphones. Yes. So very good. All right. Well, talking about the Beyond Aliens isn't the only thing that we're talking about across Trek FM. So here's some other topics you may have missed across the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. But good discussion. Like I love, (laughs) you know, talking about the science. And Joe, I love that you bring it up. Justin. I need to stop reading it. I'm sorry. I'm closing, doing my final thoughts. And you're all laughing over me. Joe, you need to keep all of this This in. (laughs) This is an intervention, Justin. (laughs) Okay. Close the window. Oh my gosh. Literary Treks. I talked to Bob Klein, who I had interviewed for Saturday Morning Trek. Um, and he's like, yeah, come on over. Let's go look through my garage and see what we find. I'm like, okay. So I drive over there and I was greeted to two, you know, those fold out tables that you have for like picnics. Two of those end to end with like three boxes 
uh, larger than files boxes and uh, like moving boxes size and just papers and folders that all had filmation on it just brought out standard orbit i bought it i uh, when it first came out i played it for like two or three days and i went what is going on am i am i missing something is is just i'm not a good player so and then i checked on the reviews online and everyone agreed that it was not a good game and we were all correct and introducing our newest show the line a star trek picard podcast i i'm so honored that i was chosen to, to pick picard and as a next generation fan i mean he was one of my favorite characters and so i wanted to and i know how he is extra special to lots of star trek fans beyond even just being the character he played on the on the series and so i really felt a huge responsibility to try to give the fans something that that was enjoyable but and and honored who he was even though it was staying true to the fact that he is 20 years older and that's what else is happening on trek.fm so check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, you can get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type The Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm.com and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels, along with all of the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credit, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, Dan Rhodes, and Mike Richards. Your contributions and support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. You can find me on Twitter at Trekkie01D. You can also hear me talking about both Discovery and the Orville over on the Fandom Podcast Network's Discoville podcast that drops every week. So thanks for listening and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.